Hey, I want to welcome you to Coastal Community Church's online sermons. And uh, before you watch this sermon, first of all, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch. And uh, we do want you to know that uh, this is a tool to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ, to grow closer to Him and walk with Him. Uh, we, however, at Coastal, hold a deep belief that uh, this should not supplement your attendance at a local church. We believe deeply in a local church. And so while we uh, this sermon is a, is a supplement for you, we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church, find a local pastor. Uh, if you're in our community, uh, in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to attend with us. We have three services on Sunday morning, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15, and uh, we'd love for you to join us in one of those services. We're starting a new series at Coastal Community Church called Strength and Courage. And as a church, uh, we're ready to face some challenges of moving to a new location. And with change comes challenge. And so, uh, and while we're excited about the changes coming our way, we want to prepare for it as well. Joshua led the people of Israel to, the new, to a promised land, which had a lot of change and a lot of challenge. And so we feel like there's a lot we can learn from the book of Joshua. And so this fall, we're going to take a journey together. And we're mindful that Joshua is a type of our Savior. Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Joshua, and through the eyes of Joshua, we're going to look at our Savior, our King, and our leader as He guides us and leads us with strength and courage. Welcome to the new series through Joshua, Strength and Courage. Good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. If you're new to Coastal and you've been here just the last two weeks, you might not know this. I'm the pastor of Coastal Community Church. Uh, man, we had some great sermons while I was not preaching. And so thank you, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Tony. Man, they knocked it out of the park. Uh, today's going to be a vocal adventure for me. So I'm hoping not to give you a coughing fit uh, because I'm really excited about this sermon. And um, I feel like Joey's like penning me in with this, making sure I don't move. So We'll just move that back there. But um, so, yeah, pray for me because I, I'm excited about this sermon. I don't want to be distracted uh, by my recovering of my cold. Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to continue in a series called Strength and Courage. And uh, you can follow along uh, in your handout. Uh, I would encourage you to take some notes. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the idea of is Christ and is our God for or against us? And uh, I think this passage reveals some truths about that. You know, I don't know, I, as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking of, of the word awesome, and I was thinking about my own life and thinking through some things that were truly awesome. I don't, I don't know if you've ever done that, like kind of made a little list of things in your life. You go, man, that, that was awesome, you know? That was, that, was, that was amazing. I remember when I saw Niagara Falls for the first time, man, that to me was awesome, you know? I, I used to live in Orlando, and I remember we used to be able to, uh, see the space shuttle take off at night from Orlando, and uh, it would light up the sky like a sunrise. I mean, it, it, was, it was awesome. Uh, I remember my wife walking down the aisle when we got married, and it was awesome. You know, she was gorgeous. And I remember the birth of my three kids and thinking, man, that is awesome, you know. I remember when I lived in Orlando, they had this freak storm one night, and they, the weathermen estimated that there were several tornadoes that touched down that were either F4s or F5s, and one of them came probably within a quarter mile of our apartment, and it was awesome, you know, terrifyingly so. I remember in 1992, I was at Serenette Lake, New York, and there was a meteor shower, unlike the few that ever we'd ever seen before, and it was incredible, and it was awesome. I remember when I was on a missions trip in Papua New Guinea, 
Uh, we were deep in the bush of Papua New Guinea, and we had a, a witch doctor's wife become a follower of Jesus. She became a Christian, and the witch doctor got upset, and he spent the entire night doing witchcraft and voodoo on our missions team. That was awesome, okay? It was nerve-wracking. I remember when the Seattle Seahawks came back in the NFC, NFC Championship last year. It was awesome, okay? I remember the first time I went to New York and had New York pizza. Now, I know some of you are going, I can't believe that's on the list with the birth of your children. You've never had New York pizza in New York, okay? It was awesome. This morning, we're going to talk about what the awesomeness of our God in Christ. And we're going to talk about, is he for or against us? And I, I really want you to be gripped this morning by the power, and the holiness, and the awesomeness of the God that we serve. Today we're going to talk about the raw power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and make no mistake, he's awesome. And he's leading his church. And he's leading his church to victory. Make no mistake. And so we're going to look at the story of Joshua in chapter 5, and, and we get this picture. And let me give you a little context here this morning, okay, so you understand where we are. And, you know, Pastor Tony and Pastor Andrew did a great job of leading us through chapter 3 and, and through chapter 4. And now we're parked here on chapter 5, and the people of Israel, the second generation, the ones that uh, the parents were not allowed to enter the promised land because of their disobedience, the children have now crossed the Jordan. They've seen the awesome power of God pushing back. I love the way Pastor Andrew described it, pushing back the Jordan River so the people could cross on dry land. They're now in the promised land. They're on the, the, the banks of the Jordan are behind them. Jericho is in front of them and all the promised land is in front of them. They have now eaten their first Passover meal in the promised land. They've now eaten the first fruits of the promised land. They, get, they gather their grain for the first time in the promised land. For the first time in a generation, manna ceases to be, right? The food that used to feed them, we get up one morning, it's just not there anymore, right? So there's no more manna because they're now in the promised land. This generation gets circumcised. We're going to look at that in a moment. It's going to be both unique and hopefully a little bit comical to you as we talk about that. And so they're standing outside of the walls of Jericho and they're anticipating the battle with the Canaanites and Joshua sees this. Okay, so we're going to work backwards in this passage. We're going to start at the end and we're actually going to work our way back. Joshua chapter five, verse 13. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he demanded, are you a friend or are you a foe? Neither one. He replied, I'm the commander of the Lord's armies. At this, Joshua fell on his face in, in the ground in reverence. He says, I'm at your command, Joshua says. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals. By the way, what does that sound like? Anybody, if you know your Old Testament, what's that sound like? Moses' encounter with God, right? Take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Most scholars here understand this, not to be an angel, but to what's called the pre-incarnate Christ. There are moments in the Old Testament where we get these pictures of God's son, Jesus Christ, before he's God in flesh, before Christmas, if you will, right? That's when you hear the word incarnation, think Christmas, right? God takes on flesh, dwelt among us. Most scholars believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. 
before he took on flesh. And make no mistake, he's awesome. And Joshua here asks a very important question that I want you to ask of yourself this morning. Are you for or are you against? Are you for us or are you against us? And the answer is pretty fascinating, isn't it? You know what I think the answer is? It depends. We don't think about this very much, especially if you've been in church life your whole life. You, you know, you kind of assume that Jesus is always for you, but the answer really is it depends. I'm neither, he says. Are you a friend or a foe? That's yet to be determined. And let's be clear God is awesome. And he's awesome when he's against you. Think the Egyptian army. Think Jericho, and hopefully you've been reading through Joshua with us, right? And you, when I say that, you get, you get a picture of Joshua chapter 6 already. Think of Jericho. Think of death being swallowed up in victory by our Savior Jesus Christ. You friend or foe, it depends. He's awesome when he's against us. He's awesome when he's for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. You know this probably. What shall we say, Paul says, about such wonderful things? He's talking about the idea of being, of the righteousness of Christ, the doctrine of justification, the righteousness of Christ being credited to us by grace through faith. What shall we say then about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can what, church, ever be against us? Isn't that incredible? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, that should give you a great sense of encouragement. And a great sense of peace. And as we move forward as a church, man, Jesus is for his church. It doesn't matter what gets written in the paper, quite frankly, okay? Jesus is for his church. And he's protecting it and he's leading and he's going to do as he wills. And by the way, this, this doesn't mean, Romans chapter 8, because this gets quoted often out of context, it doesn't mean that God is never against people. Gulp or plans, or endeavors. In fact, there's a great story about a a Pharisee, a great teacher by the name of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5. He's this Pharisee, this council of Pharisees. The church is spreading through the apostles, and 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 some Pharisees gather, and they want to kill Peter, and they want to kill some of the apostles. And this Pharisee, Gamaliel, he gives this advice. It's great advice in Acts chapter 5, verse 35. He gathers up these Pharisees groups and then says, he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do with these men. Some time ago, there was a fellow named Thaddeus who pretended to be someone great and about 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all the followers scattered and went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at that time of the census, There was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too and all his followers scattered. So my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning, uh, if what they are planning and doing these things are merely on their own, it will be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against who? Fascinating, isn't it? That's pretty wise advice for someone who probably wasn't even a follower of Jesus. He at least understood the God of the Bible. Are you for or are you against? Well, it depends. What does it depend on? It depends upon your response to Jesus Christ. It depends upon your response to Jesus Christ. 
In fact, Joshua, I think, gives us a perfect illustration of what our response to Christ should be if God's going to be for us. It's a perfect illustration. This, the, the, the commander of the Lord of heaven's army shows up, and the first thing, and once he announces this, Joshua falls on his face and he worships. He worships him. Doesn't say you're a good teacher, smart guy, started a big movement. He worships him. On his face, his body reflects what's going on in his heart. It's honoring. He honors the pre-incarnate Christ. It's an appropriate response with our body. Our bodies often reflect our hearts. There's a, by Joshua, there's an appropriate fear of God. Let me tell you something. We love to talk about the love of God, and we love to talk about the grace of God, and we love to talk about the mercy of God, but if that is not coupled with an appropriate understanding of God's holiness, he's terrifyingly holy, and God's justice, and God's judgment, and yes, even God's wrath, we seem to conveniently leave those ideas out of our understanding of God, we have a misunderstanding of the God of the Bible. He's all of those things. He's loving and he's gracious and he's merciful, but man, he's terrifyingly holy. He's set apart. He's not like you. And if your God is not a God that has an an element of justice and judgment and wrath, it is the God of your making, not the God who is. Joshua understood this, man. He bows in worship. And he asks the right question. What's the question he asks? What do you need me to do? Right? You're, you're the boss. You're in charge. And then it's followed by obedience to Christ's commands. He literally says, okay, I'll do it. Take off your sandals. Okay, I'll do it. Now, the beginning of this chapter, here's where we're going to work our way back a little bit. The beginning of this chapter is the perfect illustration that the nation, this, 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 now the children of Israel, the, so you have the parents who, who didn't get to take the promised land because of disobedience, and now you have the, the children of Israel that have taken the promised land or are moving in. And so we get a, they're, they're a great illustration of obeying God as an act of worship, okay? And I'm, I, notice I'm being very intentional about that. I don't want you to leave here and say, man, Pastor Sean talked about being good. No, obedience is an overflow of a heart captured in worship to Christ. You can't, and it's an important part. But if you, if you pull that away from worship, it becomes moralism. Okay. And that's very dangerous belief set because you're going to leave always kind of self-flagellating beating yourself up, man, I, can, I just can't make it. No, you're, you're righteous in God's sight because of Christ. But as an overflow of being captured, a heart captured by Christ, we obey the words of God. Joshua chapter five, <clears throat> verse six, <clears throat> the Israelites had traveled into the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons. I'm so glad Pastor Andrew left me to deal with this. Those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised in the, uh, on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp, until they were healed. 
I want to be clear here. Circumcision was a sign that you are part of the people of God. Okay. I believe that the changes of the New Testament are what's called believer's baptism. A sign that you're now part of the family of God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I stand up, I announce to the people, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord, and I'm, I'm, I'm baptized as a sign of being a part of the new covenant of believers. Does that make sense? <clears throat> but in the old covenant, this was the sign to males. It was of circumcision. And, this was a, and, and what you're seeing here is what I'm calling generational sin. The parents had not pass down their faith adequately to the children. And now Joshua's are taking the promised land. God says, listen, I want to be clear that, the, that, the, that my, my children, my people have the sign of being in covenant with me, being in relationship with me. And I want to challenge some of you. There's some of you in this room that need to repent of some generational sin. There's some of you in this room that need to, to, to get rid of, and by the way, the repentance, we hear repentance, we're like, man, I, like, am I supposed to weep? It's not a weeping necessarily, emotional thing, it can be, and often repentance is coupled with that, but it doesn't have to be. The word repentance literally means to change your mind. It literally means a 180 degree turn. I was going this way, my life is going this way, and I'm going to do a 180 degree turn. I'm going to go the way that God has instructed. And some of you in this room, man, your upbringing, your your there's some commands of Christ that you're not following because there's some bad teaching that's been passed down to you generation after generation. And if we're going to worship God and Christ in obedience, we have, to, we have to take careful stock of what does the Bible say and what did my parents teach me? And am I willing to obey the commands of Christ, even if it's in violation of what I have been taught? <clears throat> If you've been brought up in a, in a Christian home, man, you are blessed. Man, don't ever discount that. You are blessed. But I know there's some of you in this room, like, I'll be teaching or preaching, or you'll be reading your word or something, and something will stick out to you, and you're like, man, I hear what the Bible is saying, but my mom, literally, in the back of your mind, you're going, my mom and dad would be mortified if, and then you fill in the blank. Like, that's a very real thing in our lives and in our thinking. I mean, my mom and dad would be mortified if I didn't pursue the career path that they had laid out for me so that I could maybe find a way to serve the church more. Like, people deal with that stuff. My mom and dad would be mortified if they knew that I was maybe not going to be a doctor. And by the way, Pastor Tony, who preached a couple weeks ago, he, he, his heart was to be a doctor growing up. He's super smart. But God changes path. And sometimes that happens in your heart and life. And you go, man, my parents will be mortified if I don't go to the medical profession or the lawyer profession or whatever profession. And instead, man, I'm going to pursue the things of God. Some of you in this room, you know, I've seen this so many times through the years. I, I really believe this is a big part of some people not having believer's baptism. Because I think there's a sense of which my mom and dad, man, they would be mortified if... I mean, my mom and dad would be mortified if they knew I tithed and gave a tenth of my money. My mom and dad would be mortified if they knew I was thinking about getting married instead of living together first. Right, we, you, you have to look at the scriptures and say, this is my truth. This is what I'm going to believe in. Just because my upbringing was this doesn't mean it's God's way. And we have to ask that question. And following Christ is often counterintuitive. How so? 
Look at this story. You don't prepare for battle with Jericho. And by the way, the nation of Israel at this point didn't know how they were going to battle for Jericho. I'm sure in their minds, they thought they were going to be drawing swords and kicking in walls. You don't prepare for battle with Jericho by having minor surgery. Right? You get that? And that's why I said this is kind of comical. I mean, can you imagine Joshua walking around the camp and goes, guys, he's got kind of his flint knife out. And he goes, here's what we're going to do in preparation for battle. And you're kind of looking at your neighbor going, he wants us to do what? You know, kind of thing. I really believe that's what's happening here. And it was a trust factor because you had to heal up for minor surgery before you go to war. You, listen, there's nowhere to go. The river's behind you. The Jericho's in front of you. If Jericho decides to come out after you and you just had surgery, you're kind of sitting there going, we are sitting duck, right? Joshua has lost his mind, all right? But here's what's really fascinating about this passage. I, and I, I went in reverse order on purpose because I think... We have to go in reverse order of the story of Joshua 5 for you to feel what the people felt. Because verse 1 does something that's a little unfair to the characters in the story, but it gives a little insight to the readers of the story. Does that make sense? The readers of the story are different than the characters of the story. And by the way, the Bible does this often. It gives us a little insight. By the way, if you ever read the book of Job, you have to read the book of Job understanding chapter 1 and chapter 2 first. Or it doesn't make any sense. And even after knowing chapter one, chapter two, it doesn't make any sense. But like, there's this co- kind of this cosmic battle going on between God and Satan. That's how Job got in the middle of all this mess, right? And so chapter one, verse one here gives us a little insight. Okay, the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River. They're now on dry ground. Jericho's in front of them. And chap- uh, Joshua chapter five, verse one says this. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River. And by the way, let's park here. You know, Pastor Richard did a great job of saying there's basically three views of what the Jordan River, how it dried up and how the people went across from it. If it wasn't miraculous, why do you think all the people that we're about to look at feared God? What were they scared of if it was just kind of some kind of weird, you know, a natural event? All who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard about how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross. They lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. You didn't know. See, when the people of Israel asked to circumcise themselves in preparation for what God's about to do, what they didn't know is what God was already doing in the hearts of their enemies. Isn't that cool? All they had to do was obey God. They didn't need to overthink it. God already knew what was going on in the enemies of Israel's hearts. And so you got to understand when when you walk by faith and, and you trust God, you have to understand that God sees a bigger picture than you see. In fact, the rest of this chapter, God is asking the people of Israel to do things that would go against natural reason and natural intuition. Faith is, requires that we understand that God and his sovereignty is much bigger than we can imagine. Faith takes God at his word, trusting that God sees what we don't see. Church, I want to encourage you, man. We're, we, we, we preach this series and we're going through this series because I want you to have strength and courage whenever you move. 
And I'm talking, we're talking about physically moving our location, but more than that, when, when you pursue God, when you trust God, some of you, some of you are doing that with your beyond pledge. Like it's a stretch and you're being faithful and you're, you're out there and you're, you're trusting God when you move and God is going to call us to stretch. I will tell you this, it's going to be counterintuitive, but I also tell you this, God has a bigger picture. Jesus Christ is for his church. Jesus Christ sees a bigger picture than you can even imagine. And when he calls us to move by faith, it's because he has a better understanding of what's really going on. Finally, this passage illustrates a very important point, and that's our response to Christ. Your response to Christ, are you for me or against me, comes with either blessing or cursing. Make no mistake about it. That's a, it's kind of a theme throughout Scripture. If you're pursuing things of God, there's blessing. If you're not pursuing things of God, there's cursing. Those who worship Christ in humility have Christ's blessing. Those who worship in humility have blessing. Verse 9 of Joshua chapter 5. So the people did what they did what, what Joshua had called them to do. They circumcised themselves. And the Lord said to Joshua, I mean, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of this place shall be called Gilgal to this day. I'm going to tell you something. If you're here this morning and you've bowed a knee and worshiped to Christ, Jesus, our God, is quick when we're humble to dispense grace and mercy and kindness, and forgiveness. Our sin, our past, forgiven. When Jesus hung on the cross and died, and he, he died this brutal death as a payment for sin, he screamed out at the end, it is finished. Sin is paid for. And when you humbly bow in need of Christ, man, your sin is taken care of. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. Let me make it be even a little more real. Maybe you're here this morning. You haven't been to church in a, in a long time, and something nudged you to get out of bed and come to church this morning, right? And you're hearing this message. Let me tell you something. The grace and mercy of God is so awesome, it doesn't matter what you did last night. When you bow in knee in humility, your sins are forgiven. Your past is forgiven. And by grace through faith, the righteousness of Christ is credited to you. So now God doesn't see big old screw up you and me. He now sees you clothed in the perfection of his own son. Isn't that incredible? It's the doctrine of justification. I hope you never lose its wonder because it's a beautiful thing. And the reproach of the past is rolled away. There's another side of the story, though. It's those who reject Christ. Their annihilation is sure. Those who reject Christ, their annihilation is sure. Think, think Jericho. Think Joshua chapter 6. It's a reminder that, that God is going to supernaturally defeat his enemies in Christ. And by the way, uh, let, me, let me address the side note here. Because um, I know there's probably a couple of people thinking, like, like, did God really call people to annihilate entire cultures? 
Let's be very clear about this, okay? Because that's a question, and I think we kind of think, like, these are really nice cultures. Has America ever felt the need to enter into another country and make sure that that culture and the way it's progressing is stopped? Has America ever felt the need to do that? Absolutely. Is there another country on earth that's ever dropped a large-scale nuclear weapon on a city? No. See, there's times where evil needs to be put a stop to. Romans chapter 13 says that the government bears the sword. It's the government's job to decide when those things happen. Okay? And I'm t- if you know your history at all, you know that the Canaanites were some awful, awful cultures. And I'm here to tell you, had they spread and had they become large-scale huge nations, the earth would be a horrible place to live. I'm telling you that. I mean, these were cultures that child sacrifice and temple prostitution with children was common. This is not a culture that we would, even as Americans, would sit back and go, oh, that's okay. Okay? No, that's not okay. A side note, okay? Back to our sermon. Joshua chapter 6 God reminds us that he will supernaturally wipe out his enemies. Now, let me, let me jump to spiritual warfare, New Testament. Let's run through the New Testament. I want you to see something. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to talk about some of the enemies of Christ and how he defeats them. Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the full armor of God so we're ready for <clears throat> spiritual battle. Paul writes this, a final word. Be what? Sound like something we're reading now? Sure does, right? What's the theme of Joshua? You hear it over and over and over in Joshua. Be strong and what? Courageous. You think Paul may have had Joshua in mind when he wrote Ephesians 6? Maybe, right? He was a pretty smart guy. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you'll be able to stand um, firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities, unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Jesus Christ says, be strong. It's a spiritual battle we face. And by the way, the spiritual enemies of Christ will be defeated. Check this out. Jesus Christ is going to crush Satan. Do you know that? He loses. Check this out, Romans chapter 16. I love this passage, by the way. It's so full of oxymorons, right? But everyone knows that you are what? What's the word there? Why are they obedient? To be good? Do you know your book of Romans? It is the, probably the clearest outline of the doctrine of justification. When you're a Christian, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you're obedient as an overflow of worship. He says, Paul says, everyone knows you're obedient, man, and I, to the Lord. And man, this makes me happy. I want you to be wise in doing what is right and stay innocent in any wrong. And verse 20, the God of peace, here's the oxymoron that makes me giggle. The God of peace will soon what? Crush Satan. Isn't that an oxymoron? You think peace and crushing. Sometimes to have peace, evil needs to be vanquished, yes? And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Fascinating. How did God take Jericho? Did he let the people of Israel be a part of it? Was it something supernatural? Yes. When did he let the people be a part of it? Yes. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Church, you're a part of vanquishing the enemies of, Christ, of God. Isn't that amazing? And as we, as we move forward as a church, 
And God's given us an amazing location. That, that, like, that's the bigger part of what we're doing. It's being a part of the winning team. So that people will know their, their God through their Savior, Jesus Christ. And Satan will be vanquished. Do you ever feel like you're the only one in the world standing for truth and righteousness? I'll tell you something, college folks, if you're here at college, I, I, you know, I, man, when I was in college and I had set in my heart and mind that I wanted to be sexually pure till I got married. I believe that's what the Bible taught. Sex was reserved for marriage. I want to honor the Lord. In that. And there were countless days that I felt like, man, I was all by myself in that stand. Other Christian friends, everybody I knew seemed like they were sleeping around. It would just discourage me. And I'd come across passages like this in John chapter one, where First John chapter two, I mean, verse 15, where Paul, uh, John writes, don't love the world nor the things it offers you. When you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you, for the world offers only cravings of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God, man, will live forever. By the way, John doesn't believe that we earn our way to heaven, okay? He's just talking about it as an overflow of worship. Man, we're going to please God. The world and all that it offers will be defeated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you with this, church. Next time you're at a funeral of a Christian, next time you're at the funeral of a Christian and it seems really discouraging, you seem kind of down. I get it, man. Grieving is a thing that we go through. But if they are a believer, it is not goodbye. It is see you later. You want to know why? Jesus has defeated death. Here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter eight, verse 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to what? Your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Isn't that great news? The enemies of Christ are defeated, annihilated. It's just a matter of timing. And so our God in Christ is going to annihilate his enemies. Let me finish with this. I want to get real serious for a minute. I want to I pose a question or two. Because here's the deal. Your mortality is assured. And your appointment with God is assured. Hebrews chapter 9 says, just as it's appointed once for a man to die, after that judgment... So let me pause for a minute and be real serious. There's going to come a moment when you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And that moment's going to be awesome. And by the way, this is not the battered and bruised and broken Jesus hanging on the cross. This is not the suffering servant Jesus. This is not even the pre-incarnate Jesus that Joshua saw. Man, this is the all-powerful, risen Son of God. The Jesus of Philippians 2, where Paul says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in that moment that Jesus is Lord. This is an awesome Jesus. He's terrifying in some regards. This is the Jesus of Revelation 1. I don't have the scripture on your screen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to use your imagination. 
I know if it's not in movie form in this culture, we don't know what to do with it. All right, here we go. The Apostle John gets a little glimpse of the risen Jesus. And this is what he says. When I turned around to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And he was wearing a long robe with gold sash across his chest. And his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. And his feet were as polished bronze, refined in the furnace. And his voice, it thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Do you see him? And when I saw him, I raised my hand and did a praise dance in his presence. That's not what it says. When you sing the song, I can only imagine, here's what you're going to do if you understand whose presence you're in. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. Let me tell you something. There is not a scene in scripture where someone sees uh, the kind of the back end of the glory of God or sees an angelic being that they sit there and go, oh man, I deserve to be here. Every time someone sees some kind of heavenly body, they fall down and go, I am, I deserve to be consumed. Our God is terrifyingly holy. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. That's the risen Christ. Jesus is set apart. Jesus is holy. This Jesus is for those that humbly bow a knee and worship. And this Jesus is against all enemies of God, God's good and perfect kingdom. And so the question here this morning, for or against? Let me encourage you, Coastal Community Church, the risen Jesus the seven stars, by the way, is, is, are the church, the local churches. Isn't that amazing? I encourage you. Jesus is for his church, especially one that believes the Bible is the word of God and holds to it. Doesn't waver off it. Jesus is for his church. Pretty awesome, right? And maybe you're sitting here and you're, you're on the other side of the coin. You're saying, Pastor Sean, are, are you trying to scare me into becoming a Christian? Honestly, no, I'm not. What I'm trying to do is prepare you for your future. Because you're going to stand in front of this risen Christ, and we're going to ask the question, are you friend or foe, Jesus? You're going to ask that of Jesus. Are you friend or foe? Well, it depends. You ready for your answer? Are you a humble worshiper like Joshua? Or are you willing to roll the dice and take your chances? I'll tell you my plan. My plan is to stand there clothed in the righteousness of Christ granted to me by grace through faith. My plan is to take God as his word as to why I deserve to be there. 
I deserve to be there, God, because you said in Christ, I deserve to be there. That's my only hope. Man, I hope that's your plan. Because if your plan is to stand there on your own accord, let me remind you. Jesus is terrifyingly awesome. And I hope that right now, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is wrecking your heart and wrecking your pride and wrecking your unbelief so that you will bow a knee this side of heaven and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because I'm following you. Don't leave here today without being a follower of Christ. Let's close with prayer. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a believer, man, I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray a prayer and... um, I always say there's nothing magical about a prayer. It's, it's just an opportunity to do business with the Lord. Friend or foe, for or against, man, it depends. I want to encourage you this morning to become a humble worshiper of Christ. And by the way, it's awesome. It's awesome when God is for you. It's comforting. You don't, you don't have to make it through life all by yourself. God's with you. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer, man, and it's just an opportunity to do business with God. Let me encourage you today. Today may be the day of salvation. Do business with him. Heavenly Father, I confess that to this point I have not had an appropriate fear of God. In my pride and in my unbelief, I've decided that I know better. I can stand But this morning I recognize that I I can't stand in your presence. My only hope is that the person and the work of Jesus Christ would be credited to me by grace through faith. So as best I understand it this morning, I, I bow a knee and I humble myself to the risen Savior Jesus Christ. And I ask the question, what is it that you'd have me to do as an act of worship? to our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right.